Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, live from Maui, Hawaii. My name is Michael Benner, happy to be with you again on this Sunday, September 14, 2008. Our topic today, Habit Control. And uh, I want to thank you for joining us and for uh, being with us, whether you're listening uh, live today or whether you're listening to a replay or a podcast of this program. All of that is available, by the way, on our website, theagelesswisdom.com. Still got time to forward that email to a friend. And uh, if you've been uh, invited here and are not receiving the email newsletter every week, just go to that same website, theagelesswisdom.com. Remember the T-H-E. And right on the splash page, you see a big button for the free newsletter. And uh, it's all without charge. The newsletter, the newsletter archives, these classes, and uh, the replays that we archive as well. And that's all available at theagelesswisdom.com. Click home page, go inside, and click on web teleconference. You'll even see the upcoming event um, as two or three days before. And you can always listen there. If you lose the email or maybe it got trapped in your spam folder. By the way, if you've registered for this email letter and uh, you're not getting it, then check your junk folder, your spam folder, because these go out uh, bulk. And if our from address is not in your email address book, it's possible that we'll, we'll get a spam uh, tag and you'll never even know it. So check your junk folder, your spam folder, or uh, if you don't know how to do that, just try putting our from address in your email address book. And that from address is fanlist, one word, fanlist at theagelesswisdom.com. I hope that doesn't sound pretentious, fanlist. That was my web guy did that. And <laughs> Sorry. Fan list at theagelesswisdom.com. That's the from address, and if you uh, put that in your email address book, there's a good chance it'll be whitelisted, and it'll be all cool then. Okay, so let's get to our topic today, okay? Habit control. And I think uh, a good place to begin, and let me uh, advise you, I'm not just going to talk story here. I'm going to give you some practical tools and tips and techniques and we'll even have a guided imagery exercise for you at the end of today's class in about 60 minutes or so. Um, we should go about, well, we usually go between 60 and 90 minutes. And so uh, at most, class would run to maybe um, the top of the hour, about one hour, and then we'll do a 20-minute exercise or so. For those of you listening on iPods, you might want to <laughs> jump ahead to that. I don't know. But uh, we will do a guided imagery exercise and give you some uh, a sense of, of how a hypnotist works. I've always felt ethically bound in my hypnotherapy work over 35 years to teach people self-hypnosis, which is a variation on meditation. And I continue to be amazed here in the beginning of the 21st century uh, I have this fantasy that people will be listening to these programs uh, 
hundreds and hundreds of years from now. So uh, for the record, here we are in the 21st century, and most meditators do not understand anything about hypnosis and vice versa, and it's a tragedy. That's why often I refer to the techniques I teach as meditative hypnosis and uh, put the two together. One is receptive, one is causative, you know, but, but, but it's the same level of mind. And that's the level of focused passion, as Steve and I call it, uh, the paradise thinking, the brain researchers call it the alpha brainwave level, where the mind is focused and the heart is passionate, where the mind is silent and, and, and quite uh, uh, quiet, and the heart is calm. And it's in those levels that we can see ourselves practicing better habits, supplanting or replacing the bad habit with a good habit. Uh, this is not conquering or overcoming or eradicating anything. It's just lifting the frequency. It's sort of like applying the, the fire of the heart and, and, and the mind when it's unified uh, to uh, a, a block of ice. And uh, it goes from a solid to a liquid to a gas. And the higher and higher the frequencies you go, we aspire to the ever more refined and, and the more... Uh, the more divine. That's an ancient alchemical metaphor, uh, solid, liquid, gas, uh, the ethers or, or vapors above that, and uh, ever more refined spirit as you go higher or higher. Or as we discussed a few weeks ago, closer toward the center of the uh, cyclone. By the way, I hope you're high and dry today, and folks in the south of Texas, hang on. Uh, I can't say help is coming, unfortunately, but uh hope you're doing okay. And uh, my sister in St. Louis was saying they're even having bad weather up there, and my mother in uh, Michigan says it's been raining cats and dogs up there. So, um, you know, I hope you're all doing well. One other little side piece of business here. I have a... a question that's been submitted from Studio City. Rebecca wants to know if I'll talk a little politics today um, about uh, the Palin's uh, uh, selection for vice president. And Rebecca, I'm really uh, tempted to, but I'm going to hold back on that. And uh, we did a program last week on spiritual activism or sacred activism that you can access in the archives and listen to at your leisure, and I'd recommend that. And then be assured that as we get closer to the election, I will talk about electoral politics from a spiritual point of view. Um, I'm not going to critique individuals. Um, I just don't do politics that way anymore. I certainly used to. But I'll talk about how to view political issues, or let me say it this way, how to view current events that are often seen politically in a non-political way, okay, or an apolitical way, basically a spiritual point of view. So we will do that. And in the interim, I'll just say make sure and register to vote by October 6th. Uh, we talked last week about the Yoga Project, which is a bunch of folks who've gotten together <clears throat> and are calling, excuse me, calling yoga studios and uh, similar schools in 
critical swing states to make sure they encourage their students to register to vote by October 6th. We're not telling anybody how to vote. I think most of it's it's, it's pretty apparent um, uh, <laughs> what real change means. So uh, we'll just leave it at that. Treat you like adults, let you make up your own mind, but do register to vote. And if you want information about helping out with Yoga Vote and calling those yoga studios, networking with other light workers, and uh, encouraging a voter registration drive, uh, again, what could be more democratic than a high voter turnout? Uh, let me know. Uh, call me at 818 569 3017. Uh, that's voicemail 24-7, uh, 818-569-3017, or send me an email at mb at theagelesswisdom.com. My initials, mb at theagelesswisdom.com. Okay. Now, what are habits? Uh, could do a bad segue and talk about habitual voting for the... <laughs> For the same party all the time. Uh, habits are essentially unconscious reactions or reflexive behaviors, autonomic behaviors that are attempts to deal with anxiety and stress. All right. A habit is uh, a conditioned behavior. Who remembers Pavlov's dog and the story of classical conditioning that you probably learned in high school or college in psychology class, where uh, Pavlov fed the dogs, and as they began to eat, he would ring a little bell. And he did this for a few days or a couple of weeks, and then he found that uh, even if he just rang the bell and did not feed the dog, they would still salivate and uh, look around for the food, like, uh, hey, Pavlov, where's the food? You know, what kind of mind game are you playing on us here? Well, we've got a lot of that. See, because we have these two parts to the mind. Managing the brain requires that we access both parts of the mind, not just the conscious mind or the willpower, but the subconscious mind that needs to be understood as imagination in the simplest way. This was a great breakthrough for me, by the way, and I learned it from reading the oddest of books. Uh, first, a book written in 1892 by a medical doctor named Thompson J. Hudson. And he wrote a book with the unfortunate title of uh, The Law of Psychic Phenomena. And uh, that was a hot topic in 1892. And people did not have quite the negative uh, sense or the connotation of psychic stuff being airy fairy and stupid uh, and at best mystical uh, it didn't carry the negative connotation it does today that's why I say it's an unfortunate title but a very high credible book nonetheless the law of psychic phenomena by uh, psychic phenomena by Thompson J Hudson 1892 I think still published by Samuel Weiser big metaphysical publishing house back east, and I bet you can get a copy of it. And he talked about the two 
powers of mind that Freud had just proposed a few years earlier as objective and subjective, and that helped me a lot, the conscious mind being the objective mind, the mind that focuses externally through the physical senses on the separated or seemingly separated objects in your life. The subjective mind, then, would be the subconscious and uh, less accessible, I'll say, aspects of mind that nevertheless are designed to deal quite automatically, autonomically, reflexively with the subject. And, hey, that's me. I'm, <laughs> I'm the subject of my life. You are the subject of your life. So, so to know the subject, to know thyself, to honor and be true to yourself uh, so as to be the best you can be in service to other people. We need to use the conscious, objective mind to access the subconscious, subjective mind. And then there was a book I read shortly after that that was written in 1919 by Emile Coué, C-O-U-E, Coué. Uh, I've heard it pronounced differently, but I think that's the way it's pronounced. Uh, Emile Coué wrote a book, well, he wrote several, but uh, Suggestion and Autosuggestion was the book I was reading at the time. Sort of dry, sort of textbookish, you know, like almost 100 years old, but nevertheless uh, very, very seminal for me in my understanding, because here was another overlay. Now, the conscious mind was not only objective, it was the willpower. And the subconscious mind was not only subjective and about me, per very personal and intimate, but the imagination. And if you could even write that down now, you've got a real nice model of the two aspects of mind that need to be harmonized and, and integrated in a sense if we're going to be able to rewire the brain and manage these automatic reflexes that lead to the bad habits, whether it's overeating or getting hooked on tobacco or alcohol or some other drug. Uh, we'll even talk about nail-biting, I think, as a simple kind of a bad habit that uh, essentially is really an inappropriate way of managing stress and anxiety. The, the tough part is that it that it works. You know, nail biting does relieve anxiety, and so does uh, uh, alcohol. You know, Jack Daniels and uh, and uh, Zoloft and Wellbutrin and Paxil and Prozac and uh, cigarettes uh, and, and eating a big piece of something full of carbs and those things all work. <laughs> But it's inappropriate because it's not a very elegant way, you know. The, the side effects, the negative consequences are too much. So uh, we'll talk more about the relationship of stress and anxiety. But I want you to get these two parts of the mind down because it's so essential, I think, to really understanding how you can use your mind to manage your brain. Okay, and and. Again, that's part of understanding that you are this higher self. You're not the character that you play in your life. We, we write these roles, and then we play the character, and we tell the story of our lives again and again and again, so probably playing these roles 
like we're in the Screen Actors Guild, and, and we forget we're the playwright and the director and the producer, and we own the theater, plus we have to clean up afterwards. And, um, you know, all the world is indeed uh, a stage, as Mr. Shakespeare suggested. So we need to find better ways of managing the imagination. Let me run over this one more time, and then we'll move forward. If you are writing it down, for those of you who have now found paper and pencil or pen, uh, just just write like two columns, and on the left put conscious mind, and on the right put subconscious mind. All right? We've always heard these terms. What the heck do they mean? Under conscious, write objective mind, like the object. It's about the world out there, the objects, right? Through physical sense and sensation. We, we think we see the object, you're just seeing light reflected off the object. You think you're hearing the object, you just hear uh, the sound that's uh, like a domino effect uh, tripping through the air molecules. If there were no air molecules, you'd, there'd be no sound. Um, the, the way the five senses interpret physical reality we get these tiny little slivers of, of vibration from the full spectrum of what could be available, and we call it reality. That's just the perception of the conscious or objective mind. The subconscious is the subjective, and again, that's personal. This is more the emotional. In fact, you can put that in there, too. The, the conscious tends to be mostly mental with some feeling. The subconscious tends to be mostly emotional with some thought, okay? So conscious, objective, mental, subconscious, subjective, emotional, and then add one more term to each column. Conscious is the willpower that you've been using ineffectively to try to control habit and rewire the brain. And what you need to add on is the other 90%, the imagination, and the right column here, that is probably the best way of describing the function of the subconscious mind. These two minds then communicate. It's a two-way communication. Not only does the will stand receptive to the imagination, the conscious mind receptive to the subconscious. Hey, what a great idea. Oh, I remember now. Gee, I think I'm beginning to get the big picture. All right? That's the conscious mind or the willpower standing receptive to the subconscious or the imagination. But it's a two-way street, as I say, so we can also go the other way and think in a causative way, which is the willpower instructing the imagination to see desired outcomes, goals, and solutions. Look at it this way. Well, can you imagine a successful outcome? Can you, can you see yourself, uh, I mean, how do you see yourself not drinking alcohol? You see yourself sober <laughs> and waking up in the morning and feeling great, you know. How do you see yourself not smoking cigarettes? Well, you imagine uh, playing with your great-grandchildren and uh, walking briskly and uh, climbing mountains or whatever, swimming, whatever turns you on. 
And uh, so this is the relationship of the two minds. The problem is that there's a filter between the conscious and subconscious, between the objective and subjective, between the will and the imagination, a filter that is rather tight and gets even tighter as we become overstimulated in our daily lives, as we become stressed and anxious and carry that fear as muscular tension. And so the communication back and forth, the will's ability to be receptive to these good ideas and insights and understanding, and the imagination's ability to take instruction and affirmation from the will is impeded by the stress because that filter is so tight. But when you take a breath uh, and exhale, when you sit still and allow the mind to become quiet and the heart to become calm and peaceful, that filter opens up. And this two-way communication is remarkably enhanced. Now, in these contemplative, meditative, prayer-like states, the spirit does indeed move. You can feel it. You become an energy being with a little bit of practice. Of practicing what? Receptivity. Uh, this is nothing you do as much as something you allow. And it is a little scary at first. Feeling safe can be frightening. And what a great paradox. What do you mean? Forces you to face the fact that you thought your fear was going to make you be careful. And you'd actually feel safer if you were afraid. And it would be dangerous to feel safe. <laughs> so you're going to feel frightened. You know, I mean, it's just jabberwocky, backward, upside down, and inside out all at the all at the same time. The way to ensure you're terrified is to feel your fear, and the way to uh, feel safe is to feel safe. Although there is a path to safety through fear, we have to face it. We have to acknowledge our stress and our anxiety and our fear as things unknown, things that are confusing in our lives, so that we move directly at the fear, move into the heart of darkness with a breath ah, and a letting go and a 10 or 12 or 15 minute session, even two minutes would be better than nothing with your eyes closed feeling very safe and relaxed and then that filter opens and now the will is not only more receptive to insight and understanding from the imagination but the imagination is more suggestible to the instruction sets from the will, okay, or the conscious mind. That is a short course on meditation and hypnosis that someday will be taught to children in the first grade or maybe earlier how to use the two parts of the mind to wire the brain, okay, or to rewire the brain and substitute good positive habits for the negative habits. All right, well, having explained that, then let's talk a little bit about using these kinds of visualization tools and techniques in addition to just, you know, other cognitive behavioral approaches, uh, common sense, we'll call them common sense approaches to habit control. Again, I think the, uh, having said what I've already said, the next step is really to get a sense of dropping or releasing a bad habit 
and putting in its place a positive outcome or result, uh, a positive goal or solution in its place. In other words, you don't have to kill or eliminate or eradicate a bad habit. You don't have to slit its throat, you know, um, this this image that I often discuss of good over evil from the last 2,000 years, in the West anyway, is typified by St. George slaying the dragon, good conquering evil with a sharp sword, sharp and pointed sword, always in the throat chakra, for those of you with a little esoteric background. Ever notice St. George always slays the dragon in the throat, that's the throat chakra, which is a corresponds to the physical world and manifestation and refinement. So it's it's served us well for the last 2,000 years, but you can begin to see that war is not working, that war and violence is being used now not to conquer and control territory, but to eliminate mindsets. Bush W. is attempting to kill, kill, kill. If you're reading the books, following carefully the mindset of Bush and Cheney, Bush's frustration is that we're not killing enough people. He thinks that <clears throat> this is like eradicating cockroaches or something, that if you just kill enough of them, they'll all go away. Not understanding, of course, that the more we kill, the more injustice we create, and the more people we upset, and <laughs> the more likely they are uh, then to become our enemy. So, uh, every enemy you kill for that uh, kind of thinking becomes two or more. It's it's madness. We need to uplift this idea of I have good killing and you have the bad killing. I do good torture. I'm St. George. Uh, I'm on the crusade and you do the bad torture. And they say, no, ours is the good torture because we're on the jihad for God, for Allah, and you're the bad torture. I mean, it's insane. Uh, you're all pirates, you're all murderers, and stop it right now. This is no more. There's another way, which is the eradication of ignorance and fear with understanding and love. And that's the new model. Love vanquishes fear, not by killing it or eradicating it, but by lifting it up, by raising its frequency the way a flashlight conquers darkness by spilling its light into the void. There is no struggle between good and evil on the higher planes when you learn to use the mind. You lift it up. And so it is with the bad habit. It needs to be uplifted to use harmony to unify this behavior into a more appropriate and more constructive kind of behavior. This attitude is is important so that you don't kill some part of yourself that's very well-intentioned, that this overeating is trying to keep you mellow, and it works, and that cigarette smoking is just trying to keep you, you know, mellowed out, and it works. It's just the alcohol and, and uh, you know, whatever. Uh, obviously, there are benefits to even being a speed freak, or we wouldn't do it. But the downside is obvious. The downside is horribly destructive, uh, often deadly. And uh, 
is what we're talking about. We're talking about uplifting the bad habit into a good habit. Let go of any sense that you're going to kill or conquer or defeat or slay this bad habit. And instead feel like I'm letting it go. Like I can drop weight. You know, I hate the term losing. Well, I don't hate anything. I, I dislike the term losing weight because it implies that you might be able to find it again. So we talk about dropping or shedding or releasing weight. And the same thing with other bad habits. We want to release the tobacco addiction and let go. Just drop the bad habit of alcoholism. Even these physically addicting drugs like food and alcohol and tobacco that are so uh, deadly. But also little, uh, you know, whether it's a facial tick or um, uh, nail biting or hair pulling, something like that. These are all stress releasers and they work to alleviate stress. That's why we repeat the pattern. Uh, as I said before, but <laughs> there are more effective and not only less destructive, but really positive behaviors, beneficial behaviors that we can substitute. So that's what I mean by the alchemical references here to uplifting or refining or raising the frequency. You can do that with your mind. That's a very important part of who you are is to understand. I mean, most of us, just think of it as positive thinking. If this is too esoteric, just a positive thought is a higher frequency than a negative thought. What you can do is refined over simply what you cannot do. Have you ever noticed? I mean, anybody can tell you what cannot be done. All right? As positive as I am, Doreen even complains, my wife Doreen even complains sometimes about me being too negative about what cannot be done. That's an easy thing to do, and sometimes, I guess, even appropriate. But the energy should be put, the emphasis needs to be put on what can be done, and that requires us to be dreamers. That requires us to conceive of the outcomes, the, the, the desired results and the benefits uh, that are a little bit scary because we're always starting to think, if I get this positive outcome, this beneficial outcome, what am I going to have to lose? Any step forward requires you to leave behind where you just were. And even if we're excited about stepping forward, we want to bring the behind with us. <laughs> As if yesterday was necessary to create today. And that's really not true, any more than, as Alan Watts points out, I've mentioned this before, forgive me, I just love it, the past doesn't create the future any more than, or the present, any more than the wake creates the ship. The ship creates the wake. There's just this eternal now unfolding. So every breath is a clean slate, right? Every nanosecond you get to start over. And that's another point I want to make here. There's no such thing as failure if you never give up. Say again. Say it with me. <laughs> There's No, I'm serious. There's no such thing as failure if you never give up. Uh, just stop calling it failure. Just 
keep doing it every day. Every, uh, you know, it, it's like a crisis thinking. What am I going to do? I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Somebody might say, and you respond. Well, breathe. Be awake and conscious, and take it one day at a time. And if that's too much, breathe, stay conscious and awake, and take it an hour at a time. And if that's too much, take it a breath at a time. Okay? Just breathe, stay awake, stay conscious, and be positive and start to dream of dreams. And what can I have? And what what can I do? And who can I be? If I'm willing to let go of where I've been and step forward, you're really not going anyplace, I guess. We have to add that also. You're really, uh, I think there's a big annual festival in Europe called Going Nowhere, sort of like Burning Man. We really are going nowhere. You know, this ascension, this refinement is just an unfolding. Listen to me, just, it's so magnificent. It's a magnificent unfolding of what's already within us. So this Jacob's Ladder idea is beautiful, the stairway to heaven and the middle way and and uh, all those allegories. And, and the other one we worked on a few weeks ago, the, to supplement the vertical ascension, is the, the inner growth toward the center of the circle and the stillness in the center of the spinning sphere. Um, multiple models are needed, but... It's just a way of thinking. You need to add also the idea that you're really not going anyplace, that everything exists is right here in this moment in every breath. And uh, all potential is right here, right now. There's no waiting necessary. All right? You should have a sign in the, the waiting room, no waiting necessary. It's right here, right now. you got everything you need within you right now. That ought to be comforting. That, to me, is the essence of faith, right? Not believe the preacher or some book, but can you feel that divinity, that peace, and that love in you now? If you can, be that, okay? And release to that and let go to that as a way of managing habits. Let's be a little more specific. I'm going to start with weight loss because... I think it's the most difficult of all. And the reasons, well, the reason, singular, should be obvious. We can't go cold turkey on food. Uh, I've heard of uh, so-called breatharians, people. (laughs) I've never met one, though. Uh, People that subsist only on breath and prana, but... uh, I don't know. Certainly, uh, we've got to have some calories every day, right? I think uh, less than 800 calories uh, is uh, a starvation diet. It looks like there's something called selective malnutrition, which promotes aging. And uh, uh, no, I don't mean that. It it uh, it, uh, it retards aging and promotes long life. That's what I mean to say. Selective malnutrition actually promotes longevity and retards, uh, depresses the aging process, especially in latter years. But having said that, you got to have food. You know, 
you don't have to have uh, alcohol. You don't have to have the cigarette. You don't have to bite your fingernails or pull your hair. You don't have to tap your left foot two times just because you tapped your right foot two times. I'm getting into OCD now, aren't I? Uh, those can be habits, too. Uh, all kinds of little rituals and behaviors and obsessions. Uh, we won't get too much into the obsessive and compulsive stuff. We'll save that for another program and, and just... Well, let's just focus pretty much on uh, eating, uh, alcoholism, drug abuse, and nail-biting and hair-pulling and that kind of thing. Uh, There's just so many applications. If I tried to list it all, uh, it'd be be too much. So um, where are we then? We're talking about the challenge of of, uh, overeating. Now, this is an area where I'm an expert. I'm really good. I've carried excess weight for a variety of reasons all of my life, and I've been up and down and back and forth and tried every diet. And uh, whether you got as big as I did or whether you just carry an extra 10 or 20 pounds and haven't had that much of a problem, uh, there's a real difficulty here because you've got to eat something. And what I've finally come to understand is that the reason Americans in particular are so obese is the food that we're eating is killing us. We're, we're, we're killing ourselves on food. And it occurred to me slowly because my health concerns I began to recognize were food-related. I won't bore you with the specifics of my condition. That's not going to help you in any way at all. But I will say that in the last year, I have not lost, but shed or released uh, 85 pounds and uh, uh, 35 since coming to Maui, and I feel really good. And I can't say I went on any kind of diet per se. I mean, I did, but not diet in the sense of a change in my eating that I do for a while to lose some weight and then go back to what I was eating before. I've decided I just cannot eat processed foods. And I don't want to sound like a zealot because I really hate the holier than thou, there's hate again. I don't hate anything. I I, I dislike the holier than thou attitude that, or the attitude of superiority or advancement that we often get from, um, vegans or other people who are on some sort of uh, strict eating plan. Uh, I just want to say it's working for me to not eat meat, uh, dairy, uh, and and a lot of oil and uh, carbs. Uh, Stay away from the whites, the the sugar and the salt and the white flour. And even when it comes to whole wheat flour and, and good consumption of grains, be very careful for the carbs. Um, eliminate the oil and dairy, eggs, eat them sparingly if at all, uh, maybe just the white, and then uh, you can eat anything else you want. All <laughs> People say, what's your diet? I say, well, it's just I get to eat anything I want except meat, dairy, eggs, oil, uh, and a lot of big you know, carbs based on sugars and salts and flour. I mean, that's basically it. Uh, 
My wife and I have been recently using a book called Eat to Live by Joel Furman, Dr. Joel Furman. Again, Eat to Live, and I highly recommend it. There are other benefits, of course. Uh, uh, many people will tell you um, about how a vegan diet really contributes to a more peaceful world, given factory farming and the slaughter of animals, and also the ecological benefits and consequences of eating lower on the food chain instead of, you know, 20 uh, grain units to make one unit of protein as meat and, you know, hundreds or thousands of gallons of water wasted, you just eat the grain and, you know, cut to the chase, just <laughs> go lower in the food chain, it's much better for you. And see if your uh, health uh, issues don't reverse themselves, and see if you don't have a hard time eating all the food that's that's recommended for you to eat, because you're now getting the nourishment. I think another important part of this is to eat all organic food. Uh, do your best, anyway. You don't have to become a zealot or a fanatic about it. Just do your best uh, to avoid um, non-organic foods. And it's going to be more expensive. Here on Maui, it costs a, a fortune, but it's less than you're spending. Take the money you save from buying the meat and the dairy and uh, the, the processed and prepared foods and put a little of that into buying organic veggies and fruits and you'll be fine and you'll be stuffed and uh, the weight will just fall away. But there's more. We have to deal with the mental and the emotional responses here that go with classical conditioning and habit. And the fact that the brain is really wired to say you're getting stressed, go eat something because it works, right? It's come to be known as comfort food and a nice bowl of, uh, you know, oatmeal <laughs> really warms the innards in more ways than one. So um, especially if you put a few tablespoons of sugar on it, well, eat it without sugar and it'll taste bland for about three or four days and then suddenly it starts tasting wonderful without the sugar. You just got to recondition the body a little bit. So here's where the visualization comes in in the guided imagery. It's very important that you choose a target weight, and you have to be realistic about it. You can even do this in stages and phases. You know, So maybe you're uh, 100 pounds overweight. How about a target weight of 50 pounds by a certain date, and uh, or even 20 pounds by a certain date? Set a target weight. Second thing, write it down. Write it down on a to-do list. Write it down in your journal or your diary. Write it down on a sticky note and put it on the refrigerator and on the computer screen and on the dashboard of your car to remind yourself. And, and affirmations, you write those down too. Um, and there's a lot to writing an affirmation, but what it comes down to simply is make it positive and present tense. So you can't say, I am thin and trim, because you're not. But you, you can say, I am becoming thin and trim every day in every way, more thin and more trim every day, better and better. Okay? Use that 
what's it called? I think a present participle. Help me, English teachers, the ing bit. That makes it present and still realistic, right? Uh, somebody who's smoking cigarettes, would the affirmation be, I am a non-smoker as you light up? No, say, I'm becoming a non-smoker. Of course, at some point you have to go cold turkey, and we'll go to that in a minute. So a positive affirmation, set a goal, and then add a visualization or guided imagery exercise where you see that desired outcome in your mind's eye when you are physically still, mentally quiet, and emotionally calm. And the higher self, the imagination, the subconscious, will say, oh, I see now, <laughs> right? And then begin to feel the benefits. The mind is the focus. Now we bring in the passion, the emotional benefit of being beautiful and healthy and strong and sexy and desirable and living longer to be able to help more people in more different ways and becoming wiser and and more refined and a better person as you unfold your spiritual uh, potential, don't you see? There are benefits with bad behavior, so-called secondary gain. The things that we do, the so-called bad habits, even given the addictive, so-called physically addictive nature of sugars and carbs, of alcohol and tobacco, there are some stress reduction benefits that, and other benefits, like cigarette smokers. You get to take a break every hour or two. You get to push away from the computer and go for a smoke. And one of the fears is, if I give up smoking, I'll have to give up taking a break. If we're in touch with the benefits that we get from smoking, we can retain most of them, if not all of them, and just give up the smoking. <laughs> For example, one of the benefits of smoking cigarettes is this. <sighs> Especially that first hit on the cigarette. I smoked for years. Pack or two a day, it could 25 years ago. One of the hardest things I ever did. I think much harder than shedding the weight. Um, <laughs> a lot of the benefit of smoking cigarettes is that big, slow, deep breath. You can drop the cigarette habit, release it, and still get the, uh, the benefits of oxygenating yourself and letting go of muscular tension on the exhale without the cigarette. Another benefit of smoking and drinking and eating is the socialization. We love other people. We love to be with other people. Hey, let's together, let's let's get together and we will eat food and we will drink and we will smoke. Alright? And if if now we're PC enough that we've all given up the smoking, we'll get together and we'll eat and we'll drink, and we'll pay very little attention to what we're eating because we're talking. And we won't pay very much attention to how much <laughs> we're drinking or what we're drinking because we're paying attention instead to our socialization. Uh, one, of the, one of the important things of habit control, of course, is to make these choices consciously. And 
to be mindful in all of our daily life and affairs, which means as Buddha and Christ and other prophets and masters have taught us, we need to be conscious of who we are and what we do as we do it. So it's a very good practice when you eat to do nothing but eat. Uh, that we like to get together and socialize over food is fine. Then be sure and say a little prayer at the beginning of gratitude or an affirmation of gratitude and stand receptive to the fact that you're enjoying a bounty that is provided to you freely from this earth. I know human economics gets in the way. You had to pay for it. But be that as it may, it's in your interest to pause uh, and consecrate the food to bless it. In your own way, it doesn't need to be a religious thing. Just thank God for this grub. You know, my father used to say, uh, I never liked this, but, well, maybe I'll not even share it with you. Yes, that's what I'll do. I'll not even share it with you because I really don't like it. But, because uh, he was sort of mocking this whole idea. Forget my father. This uh, idea of a little prayer, um, whether it's religious or just a spiritual uh, affirmation of gratitude as you eat is a very important thing, I think. And so even if you're in a group of, you know, uh, one other person or a whole bunch of people, you can do that silently and quickly. You don't have to make a big deal out of it. If you are with a group that is similar in that regard and you want to hold hands and do an energy circle and, uh, you know, focus on your breath and have somebody lead you in a positive blessing or affirmation or just silently, whatever, however you do it, I think it's important. And then eat consciously as you eat. Chew your food better. Taste the food. Experience the texture. Just be present. And I swear you'll eat half as much, and you'll also desire better food. You'll get halfway through that bag of Doritos and go, what in the world am I doing? <laughs> right? And uh, then maybe suddenly you find yourself with a hankering for a steaming hot ear of organic sweet corn, you know, without any butter or salt on it. You might be surprised. It might taste like the sweet corn we had when we were kids. I'm talking to the old timers now. Okay. So guided imagery, visualization opens the filter and allows the imagination or subconscious to be more receptive to the instruction sets, visual, verbal, emotional, that go with this positive thinking and this visualization of the benefits of the desired goal or outcome. And again, stay with us for just a few more minutes, and we'll talk about exactly how to do that. Okay? Um, let me pause for just a minute. I'd like to update my attendance numbers here. Good. Wonderful. Wow. Nice to see all of you on board here today. I want to remind you, you can always listen by telephone or by the web. It's your choice. And the replays are at the same link, and the podcast is available at my website, too. All right, so we've talked about uh, the most difficult of all habits, which is to control or to manage, which is the eating, primarily because it's nourishment and sustenance, and you've got to have it. So 
target the nourishment. Uh, learn about uh, proteins and fats and carbs. Learn about vitamins and phytonutrients and minerals. Uh, it's not that hard to do, and there are some really good books available. Like anything in life, look for diverse and antagonistic sources. Hear me clearly, diverse and antagonistic sources. Let your books argue with each other so that you be the agent in the middle that determines how to weigh those arguments. That's part of being wise. You abandon or release looking for the one right diet or the one right way to do anything in your life and become he who or she who understands. Uh, it's your life. It's your responsibility and your understanding. This is where you celebrate the diverse, if not the antagonistic. It needs to be your understanding. Learn to think for yourself. And, and, and you know, others can inspire you. Hopefully you'll find some benefit in this webinar here today. But ultimately you are the one who must realize to make it real. All right? So, look for diverse and antagonistic sources, uh, and, and you might want to check out Eat to Live. It's, again, I think probably the, the best vegan uh, book uh, that, uh, that I've ever seen. And again, you don't, we kind of avoid this binary either-or thinking, and this is why and I'm so concerned about not wanting to be some sort of uh, born-again vegan zealot here uh, I might eat a piece of bacon tomorrow I can't I can't but it's unlikely but <laughs> there's soy bacon but I you know I can't promise anything uh, here's the deal do the best you can breathe relax visualize reorient yourself and be the best person you can be if you can cut your meat consumption in half great if you can eliminate the, the the most deadly, the red meats, the beef, and then the pork, get down to some chicken and turkey, fine. But watch out for the added antibiotics and the hormones. Maybe you go to the organic fowl, and uh, then maybe you even let go of that and have a little bit of fish. And then you may even let go of that and only have fish once or twice a week. And uh, maybe finally all together and become a true vegan, no eggs or uh, animal products, nothing with a face, right? That's up to you. Just do the best you can, but know the pendulum swings. And you avoid the make-it-or-break-it, boomer-bust, either-or mentality that's driving everybody crazy in this world today. The binary thinking and the false dichotomies. That, let those always be red flags. That's the core lesson for me of my 40 years in radio is that there is a third way okay, and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth <laughs> to break out of this uh, the, these false dichotomies okay almost the top of the hour let's see what else do I want to tell you we've talked about visualization in eating we've talked a little bit about cigarette smoking um, again I want to in both cases um underscore the idea of writing down the benefits that you get from eating, like the socialization we talked about or taking a break, so that 
or cigarette smoking, similar, so that you can maintain these positive benefits that are only seemingly dependent upon the bad habit. You can release the bad habit and still enjoy your meal, maybe even more. You can still take a break from the computer, but you go for a nice brisk walk around the block instead of go smoke a cigarette. And you can still hang with your friends and socialize and, you know, bring them on board. If 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 you get with two or more, you know, two or more gathered in my name and you talk about raising consciousness, uh, what better way to raise consciousness than in a group? to talk about being awake and how to be awake and how to stay awake and how to become more awake when we fall into the trance of reflective, um, reactive, uh, habitual behavior. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, and the visualization. i got to emphasize the visualization. We'll, we'll, we'll do that exercise in just a few minutes. And then the nail-biting. I want to talk about hair-pulling, that kind of thing. Uh, again, this could go to bedwetting and even obsessive compulsive behaviors, but we're going to talk about OCD in a future program, I'm sure. Even that is such a huge, huge field, but it's part of uh, unconscious and automatic uh, behaviors. The thing to know about the nail biting and the hair pulling is that, again, this is a way of releasing tension. I worked with a nine-year-old boy a few years ago who was pulling his hair out in big hunks, and it just looked uh, horrible what he had done to his uh, hairline. He was pulling the very front, right, you know, where the forehead and the hairline come together, big hunks of hair. And I said, well, his mom was there, obviously, and uh, I said, so, son, uh, whatever his name was, I didn't call him son, I said, uh, why are you? Why are you doing this? And he said, "Because it feels good." And I said, "What do you mean? It feels good? It must really hurt." He says, "Oh, it really does. But when it stops, it feels great." And of course, we all laughed, and he laughed too. But do you get it? It's a stress reliever. The the, the hair coming out allows a lot of stress and anxiety to come out too. You're saying, how could a nine-year-old be stressed? Well, you've never been a parent, or you would know. In in Japan, they're having a problem here, too, to a lesser degree. But they're so wound up in Japan, the children's hair is falling out. Their eyebrow, they have apicia. The, is that what it's called? The, uh, the hair just falls, it's fallen out. They're so wound up. But get this, get this idea. He would, he would put his finger in his hair and wind it around and around and then begin to pull and pull and it hurts more and more and then he yanks the whole bunch out. Ah. Well, I showed him how to do the, ah, without having to pull his hair out. And in a single session, fixed him. Never did it again. As far as I know, never heard from him, never came back. Got good reports. Okay. Same thing with nail biting. If you could teach yourself or work with a child in this regard to have them visualize that energy release that comes from biting a fingernail, the release of stress and anxiety, the energy release of stress and anxiety that comes from pulling hair, for example, as visualizing throwing it against the wall. Take that energy, gather it up, 
in your mind's eye, in your imagination, in deeply relaxed states, and throw that energy that would have been released from biting the nails or pulling the hair into the wall with a great colorful explosion and fireworks and even the sounds of kabam and kaboom and wow, man, and a deep breath and oh boy, my God, oh, it feels so good to get rid of that. Imagination, which is the subconscious mind, which unlike the conscious mind, does not distinguish reality from imagination, goes, oh, I see, you let go of that. Well, we don't need to uh, bite our nails, and we don't need to pull our hair. We don't need to fidget and, and bounce our knees. We don't need to smoke cigarettes. I don't need that beer or that Jack Daniels, and maybe I can do without the cheesecake. Okay. Uh, if we but knew how many of and to what extent our unconscious, reflexive, habitual behaviors were were effective, but only partially effective in largely inappropriate ways of managing stress and anxiety, then we could find better ways to manage stress and anxiety and to use those stress-free states of contemplation and meditation a still body, a quiet mind, a calm heart, to visualize with the filter open, will and imagination in a harmony, visualizing the benefits of being slim and trim and healthy and living a long life and being able to breathe without pain and discomfort and your fingers are not yellow and you're healthy and food tastes delicious and you're strong and vital and living a long, healthy life. And your fingernails are beautiful and handsome and you may even now be investing once every week or two in a really nice manicure, even the men, because your nails are so handsome now that you're not biting them and you just visualize the desired outcome and with the young boy we had him visualize his hair all growing back and of course it would have grown back anyway but he might have pulled it out see i think you get the idea and uh given the short amount of time here uh I think that's a pretty good overview. So let's look at your questions and comments. Uh, if you're listening live today and on the web, you can submit at the bottom of the page. And I uh, just want to say hi to some of the people. Ashera in Los Angeles, Ashera, um, said uh, he wanted me, he sent us before the event, and he, he wanted me to speak on learning good habits and uh, talked about relaxing and discarding bad habits by relaxing and letting go. And that is a very good point. John in Pittsburgh, or Pizzaburgh as we call it, is uh, online saying hello. And Rebecca in Studio City, uh, we said hi to her earlier. She wants to talk about Sarah Palin, and we'll do that in a few weeks. Just watch. Don't judge her as a person. Just watch, okay? And Carol, hello to Michael Lundering. Carol in La Habra, hi Carol. Good afternoon to you. Randy in Lake Forest. He says, what's the music you play at the beginning 
is it by Roy of Hollywood? It's really peaceful to listen to. Um, it's not. I, I have some Roy of Hollywood stuff, but this is actually a hypno music thing. I forget the artist, Randy, but I believe the name of the LP is Liquid Music. Liquid Music. Maybe that's the artist, Liquid Music. I don't remember, but uh, I've used it for years, and if you Google it, either as the album title or the artist, I'm sure you'll find it. Pretty good stuff. Um, in Mission Hills, Greg Gould is on, and good afternoon, Greg. He says, how can the heart be calm and passionate? I picture the heart not having much going on when it's calm. Passion seems to have a lot of energy. Can you uh, clarify that for me? Gosh, you get an A. You get a... You get a gold star, Greg. That's the question of the day today. I meditated for years based on Eastern philosophies of a dispassionate heart. Love, in fact, is very passionate, okay? But it's a higher frequency of passion than we often know. For example, anger could be passion. Hatred could be passion. As uh, is often said, O.J. killed his wife because he loved her so much. And, you know, slit her throat because he hate, his hate was based on the love. So this kind of passion is the result of reflexive behavior and still living as if uh, animals in a jungle. But there are higher frequencies of passion that remain when we breathe and relax and let go of the of the uh, mano a mano survival based animal lizard brain limbic system passion <laughs> i'm going to get you buddy and so the idea of passion as ecstasy of passion as bliss of how about how about the more attainable passion as just a fountain of joy and this bubbly warmth and this quality of fulfillment and contentment that we can learn to access. Well, what a great, great question. We'll revisit that, I'm sure. See how cool this is? This, this is the best part. We get podcast and live and archives and streaming and download and everything. Lorelei in Surprise, Arizona is with us again. She says, Aloha, Michael. The topic today could not be more perfect and right on. Exactly what I need to hear right now. Thank you. I think we can all relate to that, Laura. Part of the curse of living in a physical body, even if you know you're a spiritual being, having a human experience and not the other way around, is dealing with what religious people call temptation. And that is autonomic behavior, automatic reflexive behavior, which works on a survival level. But, you know, we're not Neanderthals anymore. We need to wake up and learn to manage the brain, to rewire it so it fires properly. Out of San Diego this morning, uh, Glenn is online. He says, great topic. Congratulations on the weight loss and healthier lifestyle. I, too, have made it a part of my life. And my overall health has improved immensely. That's great news. He says, um, eliminating or greatly reducing white flour and sugar works wonders for the body and uh, mind. And I throw in a little salt. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, by throwing in salt, I mean, I'd, I'd add that to greatly reducing. You know, 
Have you ever heard of, you guys know about Bragg's amino acids? If, if you're reducing uh, your protein intake by reducing or eliminating meat in your diet, you're going to want to eat some legumes and the right kind of beans and soy products to get protein. Uh, there's other hemp. Is, there's, there's protein powders based on hemp and um, um, other things too, whey, which is a dairy product, however. So shop carefully. But... Um, uh, 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 Bragg's amino acids is uh, salty, so um, it really it adds a little flavor too. But you'll get used to it. It's a nice salt substitute. In Cerritos Kareem Aloha, Michael, what's the best way to avoid born again type zealotry in general in any area of life? <laughs> the one right way I have found it idea, the idea that you've arrived at a destination. I don't know, Kareem, a couple of things come to mind. Consider that there are no destinations and that you never arrive. You're always on a journey. Uh, your magnificence, uh, your potential is so magnificent that you just aren't going to get there in this body. There's always more is the good news. And so you sort of hang loose with that. And I think um, love is a very tolerant thing. Um, it's not tolerant of evil. It's not tolerant of injustice. It should not be tolerant of war and torture and rendering. It should not be tolerant of those who try to frighten us and control us through fear. But to be tolerant of everything that is real and good and true is a quality of love. And so um, it's sort of a a positive upward spiral we initiate when we sit receptive and quiet and peaceful and and loving. We feel the fulfillment and the contentment that says, well, as I currently understand it, you know, it sort of feels like this or that. You know, another thing is not to judge yourself. Um you know, I'll share with you, and then we'll do our exercise because we're running long today, but I'll share with you quickly. Uh, there was a time when it would have been the early to mid-80s when I was still smoking cigarettes, and my buddy Steve Snyder was still smoking cigarettes. Um, we were in our early 30s, and we were both teaching meditation and self-hypnosis and habit control, and we felt rather hypocritical about it. And I said, Steve, if we wait to be perfect, we'll never teach it. Another thing that has occurred to me over the years is that in sports, most of the best coaches really were not very good players. So don't judge yourself. You can teach yourself and teach other people these tools and techniques without being the perfect weight or being a spiritually perfect being. If you were spiritually realized and enlightened, you wouldn't be on this planet. You'd be doing your work on some higher level, I'm sure. And um, can I believe my eyes? Dutch is online from Playa del Rey. Hello, Dutch. I've been wondering how you're doing. Dutch is out there working for the Nader campaign, and uh, I got mixed feelings about that, Dutch, but... Uh, I know your intentions are good, and I know your heart's in the right place, and I've voted for him a couple of times in the past, and uh, yet I promised I wouldn't talk politics today. So let's go to our visualization. Thanks for being on board, 
Dutch is nice to uh, to hear from you. And thanks to all of you for being here live today. Um, let's do a visualization exercise because we don't want to rush, but I want to give you a taste of how to use creative visualization and guided imagery in states of relaxation, meditative, contemplative states, a positive form of suggestion, visualizing your desired outcomes to help you better manage your habitual behavior, okay? An uplift, not eradicate or kill off, but to gently and sweetly lift up the bad habit uh, to refine like uh, lead to gold and then even the gold goes from 14 carat to 18 carat to, what is it, 22 carat, as we become more and more refined, okay? Water into wine, that's what we're talking about. Close your eyes, providing this is an appropriate time for you to do so. Take a nice, slow, deep breath and relax. Feel the letting go. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, create and sense a letting go feeling. Imagine how it would feel to be a stick of butter on a warm day, softening slowly toward the very core of your being. Create and sense a letting go feeling. Feeling very safe, very peaceful, and very relaxed. Imagine yourself sitting beside a beautiful little lake or pond surrounded by a paradise. Whether you find yourself high in the mountains or deep in a shady valley, in a sunny meadow or cool shady forested place, whatever you dream up, go with that imagery of peace and beauty, sitting on the ground very comfortably, and right at the edge of this beautiful little pond. And as you sit there, you feel rooted to the earth. You feel grounded and plugged in, as if you could easily imagine how a tree or a bush feels a flower or blade of grass to be so securely and truly integrated into the one thing. And I'd like you to look into the pond, noticing initially that its surface is as smooth is glass. And the reflection of yourself that you see as you peer into the water is without distortion for the surface of the pond is like a mirror, smooth as glass. You feel that tranquility in the center of your body. as you peer at your reflection in the pool of still water, 
from a place that is quiet and peaceful. See your desired outcome with your imagination. The feeling that you're pretending, that you're imagining and making it all up, is exactly the right feeling. You are in control of the letting go. You're in control of allowing yourself to feel so wonderfully safe and relaxed. And it is you that controls in such an effortless and peaceful way the imagery that you see reflected in the quiet pool. An image of your desired outcome, your goal. If it's an image of weight loss, see yourself not only at the ideal weight, but radiant. However that occurs to you, full of energy and vim and vigor and vitality and V8 and all the words that start with V, just alive and sparkling, radiating, emanating, natural health. It may not be normal health, but it could be natural health, radiating, trim and fit and healthy and strong. And you do nothing to visualize this. Quite the contrary. You shed everything that is not good and true and beautiful. You feel it falling away. Seeing revealed in the quiet pool. A reflection of your ideal goal. In terms of appearance. But more importantly, at your core of being a radiant being of love and light radiating from the inside out and, and not from you so much as through you as you stand open and receptive to your own radiance releasing as unconditionally as you have received that vitality if it's a habit like cigarette smoking or alcoholism or drug abuse that you wish to release. Remember, this is not killing or destroying. This is lifting up. It's not conquering or doing. It's allowing and releasing. Let it go. And see reflected in the pool, in your mind's eye, the benefits still you get to take a break from work, but you're going to walk briskly and breathe. Take those same deep breaths, oh, but without the tobacco and the smoke, you see. And you still get to hang with your friends and socialize, but you do it without the habit of the cigarette or the alcohol. 
and nail-biting or hair-pulling or fidgeting or knee-bouncing or even compulsive activities or obsessive thinking and feeling. Throw it into the wall as you feel the anxiety building, as you discover yourself repeating the bad habit, biting the fingernail, pulling the hair out. Imagine in your mind's eye, see reflected in the pool, you throwing this big handful of static, of negative energy, of nervousness, stress, and anxiety into a wall or against a tree or smashing it on the ground as it explodes in colorful fireworks and you feel the release. Ah, that anxiety, feel the letting go. You don't need to carry anything. There's nothing you need to carry in this life. It's only an appearance, a consequence of being a spiritual being in a physical body that you carry this beautiful instrument, the physical body, and carry the tension and carry the fear. It's just an indication of that which we need to learn and understand and at the center is the self, the true self. Your best divine nature already within you, waiting for the awakening. Tell yourself this is easy and this is fun and I can do this and there's no failure. If what others might call failure or backsliding or succumbing to temptation occurs, you take a breath and do it again every day. Every week, every month, every year is but an eternal moment unfolding. If you did nothing, your life would continue. Take a nice, slow, deep breath as you reorient yourself toward the sound of my voice, telling yourself how easy it will be to remember and practice an exercise like this. And as you exhale, or take another breath, Open your eyes now, wide awake, alert, refreshed, and rested, feeling fine, all vital and energized and relaxed and safe and feeling better and better and better. You know, if you say to yourself, I haven't got 15 minutes a day to do this because I'm so busy, i got to call your bluff. You've got 15 minutes. That's 1% of your day just for you. You're giving away 99% of your day to other people, to your spouse, your kids, your parents, your family, your friends, your work associates. You give your whole life away. That's beautiful. How about 1% just for you? How about 15 minutes once a day just for you? Become a practitioner. You're not going to get any place, but you will unfold who you are in a much more elegant and accelerated way. And make it a point to join us every week for this event. If you're not getting the email newsletter for some reason, email me and find out why at mb at theagelesswisdom.com. If you've never signed up for it, click on the big button on my website that says free newsletter at theagelesswisdom.com. And provided you're listening live right now and on the web, 
look down in the lower right-hand corner, you can access my website, the audio archives, my LinkedIn profile, and the big button that says Wage Inner Peace will take you to FocusPassion.com, where you can subscribe to our premium podcast for only 99 cents. And I want to thank Charlotte in Montreal for subscribing yesterday to Finding Yourself in Paradise, the premium podcast, Wage Inner Peace. Click on that button and uh, and support us in that way as well. Then you get two podcasts, okay, for 99 cents. This one's always going to be free. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. Got to run. Almost out of time. Leave me a phone message anytime, 24-7 at 818-985. No, no, that's the old number. 818-569-3017. I almost gave you the KPFK phone line there. My voicemail, 24-7. Leave a message. I'll call you back, 818-569-3017. Hey, thank you so much for being with us here today as we talked about habit control on the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School webinar. Join us next week. Have a wonderful week, and as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.